If you have a copy of Scripture, I invite you to open up to 1 Kings chapter 13. First, I'm not going to get you back, am I? That was probably too much. 1 Kings chapter 13, uh, as I was praying and seeking the Lord and how to encourage you where you're at in, in your ministry, uh, the Lord has led me to this text buried deep in the Old Testament. Sometimes we're guilty of looking at Kings and Chronicles and thinking of those as, as only historical books, and yes, they are, but what great words of wisdom the Lord can speak to us through these. Uh, the kingdom has just split. Jeroboam and Rehoboam uh, have done their thing. Rehoboam wanted to raise taxes, and the people said no. Uh, you can read about that in chapter 12. No, uh, we're going to withdraw from the Davidic dynasty, and they, the ten northern tribes went north, and Benjamin and Judah was the southern kingdom. Uh, Jeroboam was, was over the northern kingdom, and Rehoboam retained the two southern kingdoms. And, and it's interesting how you can read about all the politics that happened in, in chapter 12. And in order for the northern kingdom uh, to uh, stay with Jeroboam, he kind of did something he shouldn't have done. He, he set up some idolatrous worship centers, one in Bethel and one in Dan. Because if the people went back to Jerusalem, if they went back to, to offer sacrifices, he was afraid their heart would turn back to Rehoboam. So he set up these idolatrous worship centers, and he put priests that were not Levitical priests over these idolatrous worship centers to have convenient counterfeit, convenient counterfeit worship. And so we pick up in chapter 13, that's just a little bit of context, in verse 1, and we're going to be looking at most of this chapter, and, and, and I'm kind of long-winded, uh, so I, I'm going to try to keep it brief, and I know y'all just had those food announcements, uh, but uh, just hold those in the back of your mind. Uh, it says this, and behold, I, I ask my people to stand as we read the Holy Word of God, so I'm going to invite you to do that today. And behold, a man of God came out of Judah by the word of the Lord to Bethel. And Jeroboam was standing by the altar to make offerings. And the man cried against the altar by the word of the Lord and said, O altar, altar, thus says the Lord. Behold, a son shall be born to the house of David, Josiah by name. And he shall sacrifice on you the priests of the high places who make offerings on you, and human bones shall be burned on you. And he gave a sign the same day, saying, This is the sign that the Lord has spoken. Behold, the altar shall be torn down, and the ashes on it shall be poured out. And when the king heard the saying of the man of God, which he cried against the altar at Bethel, Jeroboam stretched out his hand from the altar, saying, Seize him! So let's just kind of say he did not like that none too much. Arrest him, you could say. And his hand... When he stretched out against him, it dried up, so that he could not draw it back to himself. And the altar was also torn down, and the ashes poured out from the altar according to the sign that the man of God had given him by the word of the Lord. And the king said to the man, and this is awesome, the king said to the man of God, Entreat now the favor of the Lord your God, and pray for me, that my hand may be restored to me. And the man of God entreated the Lord, and the king's hand was restored to him, and it became as it was before. And the king said to the man of God, Come home with me and refresh yourself, and I'll give you a reward. All you poor college students say, Amen. Amen. There we go. A reward? Wow. But the man of God, look at what he says, the word of God said. The man of God said to the king, If I give you half my house, 
I will not go in with you. And I will not eat bread nor drink water in this place. For so it was commanded me by the word of the Lord saying, You shall neither eat bread nor drink water nor return by the way that you came. So he went another way and did not return by the way that he had came to Bethel. Now an old prophet lived in Bethel. And his sons came and told him all that the man of God had done that day in Bethel. And they told it to their father, the words that he had spoken to the king. And their father said to him, well, which way did he go? And his son showed him the way that the man of God who came from Judah had gone. And he said to his son, saddle the donkey for me. And basically that's all about the good of, of it that these sons are. They're, they're really no good for anything except saddling the donkey. That's all they do. And they saddled the donkey and they mounted it for their father and He went after the man of God, found him sitting under an oak, and he said to them, Are you the man of God that came from Judah? And he said, I am. He said, Come home with me and eat bread. And we see the same spill that he gave Jeroboam. I may not return with you, nor go in with you, neither will I eat bread nor drink water with you in this place. For it was said to me, By what? The word of the Lord. You shall neither eat bread nor drink water there, nor return by the way that you came. I wish the story ended there, but it doesn't. Let's read on. And he said to him, I also am a prophet as you are. And an angel spoke to me by the word of the Lord, saying, Bring him back with you into your house that he may eat bread and drink water. But he lied to him, and he went back with him and ate bread in his house and drank water. And as they sat at the table, the word of the Lord came to the prophet who had brought him back, that is the old prophet, and he cried to the man of God who came from Judah, Thus says the Lord, because you have disobeyed the word of the Lord and have not kept the commandment that the Lord your God has commanded you, but you have came back and have eaten bread and drunk water in the place of which he said to you, Eat no bread and drink no water. Your body shall not come to the tomb of your father's. And after he had eaten bread and drunk, he saddled his donkey for the prophet whom he had brought back. And as he went away, a lion met him on the road and killed him. His body was thrown in the road, and the donkey stood beside it. And this is what's really amazing. And the lion also stood beside the body. And behold, men passed by and saw the body thrown into the road, and the lion standing by the body. And they came and told it in the city where the old prophet lived. And when the prophet who had brought him back from the way heard of it, he said, it is the man of God who disobeyed the word of the Lord. Therefore, the Lord has given him to the lion, which has torn him and killed him, according to the word the Lord had spoke to him. And he said to his son, saddle the donkey for me. See, there they go again. And they saddled it. And he went and found his body thrown in the road, and the donkey and the lion standing beside the body. And the lion, look at this. The lion had not eaten the body, nor torn the donkey. And the prophet took up the body of the man of God and laid it on the donkey and brought it back to the city to mourn and to bury him. And he laid the body in his own grave and mourned over him, saying, Alas, my brother. And after he had buried him, he said to his sons, When I die, bury me in the grave which the man of God is buried. Lay my bones beside his bones. For the saying that he called out by the word of the Lord against the altar in Bethel and against the houses of the high places that are in the cities of Samaria shall surely come to pass. And let me read one more verse, verse 33. 
After this thing, Jeroboam did not turn from his evil way, but made priests for the high places again from among all the people. Pray with me. Father, thank You, Lord, for Your Word. Father, we look into Your Word today. Lord, we rely upon Your Word today. And help us to see what You did for and to the man of God. And may it encourage us, but yet may it also challenge us, Father, in our day to carry out the Word of the Lord. We praise You and thank You and trust You in Christ's name. And all God's people said, Amen. You may be seated. Thank you for standing with me. So just a few things in this text I see that I want to encourage you and challenge you with is number one, I see a calling, a clear calling of this man of God in verse 1. Look back with me. And behold, a man of God came out of Judah by what? The word of who? The Lord. Folks, let me encourage you. The calling of God is irrevocable. The calling of God is what you and I have to lean on day in and day out. Why are you preparing for ministry? Why are you being trained for ministry right now? It has everything to do, not with what you wanted to do, but it has everything to do with the calling that God has on your life. There's going to be lonely days ahead in ministry. There's going to be wonderful days ahead in ministry. There's going to be trying days in ministry. And many times you're going to wonder, God, is this making a difference? And the answer to that is yes. And you have to rely and lean and think back on what God has clearly called you to do. Think about this, for example. This was a tough calling. These, these ten northern tribes, this man's called from the southern kingdom to go to the leader of these northern tribes and cry out against what he is doing and his idolatrous practices. That's not an easy task, do you think? In the same way, is it an easy task to be in an area that's less than 2% evangelical? No, it's not. This man had a huge task, had a huge mission. He had a calling of the Lord to go give what the Word of the Lord said to this leader of these northern tribes. And when he did, he obeyed. Let me encourage you. Always, always, always walk in obedience to the Lord. Always. Nothing sounds too dumb. God's going to tell you things to do sometimes. You're going to scratch your head and say, Really, Lord? He told Joshua and the people to march around the city of Jericho seven times on the seventh day. And what was going to happen? The walls would what? Fall down. He told Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to not bow down to this, to this idol and they were cast alive in the furnace. That doesn't make any sense. But yet they survived. That's amazing. Don't you think? God's going to tell you to do things that sometimes you're a little uncomfortable in doing. And you have to fall on time and time again, rely on the word of the Lord. What did God say? And that's all that matters. That's all that matters. What did the word of the Lord say? And this, this young prophet came out of Judah to this new king, Jeroboam, and said what the word of the Lord said. And he cried against the altar in verse 2. He cried against the king. He confronted the king in the midst of the king's sin and cried against what he was doing and this idolatrous practice. And, and he said, hey, there's going to be somebody, Josiah by name, and he gives a prophetic statement that some 300, 340 years in the future, there was going to be a king that was going to be born that would tear all of this down. That is a word from the Lord. 
He's going to make this right, what you're making wrong. All this false sacrificial system that you're setting up, there's going to be one, and his name's going to be Josiah, and all this is going to be done away with. And if you read 2 Kings 23, it's the fulfillment of the word of the Lord through this young prophet, through this young man of God. And he also gave a sign in verse 3. It was very fitting that a man of God would give a sign confirming that the word was indeed from the Lord. And he gave a sign, and he said, Behold, the altar shall be torn down, and the ashes that are on it shall be poured out. And the king, was he happy when he heard this? None too much. He wanted him arrested. He wanted him gone. He did not want to hear the word of the Lord. He said, seize him. And when he did, what happened to his hand? Come on, it's all right to interact with me. What happened to his hand? It withered. It dried up. It dried up. He couldn't couldn't pull it back in. And also, look at verse 5. The altar was torn down and the ashes poured out, thus signifying that this holy sacrifice was now unclean and it was not a holy sacrifice. And they couldn't, it was not acceptable in their false worship system. So the king sees these signs. He hears this prophetic word. He's none too happy. His arms all withered up and dried up. And now he kind of changes his tune just a little bit. Just a little bit. So we see the calling of this man of God, but secondly, we see the commitment of this man of God. What a great commitment he had to go by the word of the Lord to do this, this commitment. Now look on the king's part. Look at Jeroboam's part. If I'm Jeroboam and my arm won't pull back in, it's all withered and dried up. I'm caught like a rat in a trap. That's what we say in Alabama, by the way. I don't know if you have those sayings here. You know you're guilty. God condemns you as being guilty. He gives you a man of God to tell you you're guilty. A sign to confirm that. The altar is broken. Ashes are poured out. I know I'm caught. What am I going to do? Well, if that was me, I'd fall on my face and repent and pray to the Lord God of heaven. But Jeroboam doesn't do that. Look at what he asks instead. Look at verse 7. And the king said to the man of God, or I'm sorry, look at verse 6. And the king said to the man of God, Entreat now the favor of the Lord your God and pray for me that my hand may be restored. So he asked the man of God that gives these signs to undo them, to seek God for him. It's kind of like when Moses goes to Pharaoh and Pharaoh says, all right, Moses, you got me. I'm going to repent. Uh, Pray to the Lord your God for me. You're God's man. You're his mouthpiece. Undo what you did. That's kind of what Jeroboam asks of the man of God. And he does. And his hand is restored. The king is glad. And all high fives all around. Boom, 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 boom. And now he wants to reward him. He wanted to arrest him. Now he wants to reward him. He says, hey, come home with me. And you hear the command of the Lord. No, I cannot. Look at at what the command of the Lord was. I cannot go with you. I cannot what else? I cannot eat. I cannot drink. And I cannot do what? This is very interesting. I can't return by the way that I came. So God's message is, get in, get out, cry out, hurry. He did not want this man of God to partake in any of the festivities of the day. Get in, get out. Don't linger, you could say. And so he did, but, but I wish the story ended like I said. But we see an old prophet lived in that same town. I don't know. There's a lot that I don't know here. I often wonder, why didn't God call 
that old prophet to be the mouthpiece in that town? I've wondered that. We're not really given any specific instruction as to why God did not do that. But He didn't. He, first off, we see kind of this old prophet being somewhat shady. Maybe, maybe that's why. Another question is, theologians wonder is, how do these two sons of this old prophet know about this young man of God? Which leads some theologians to think, were they there at that false idolatrous worship center? Were they, could they, have been some of the high priests that Jeroboam installed? Again, we don't know. I get myself in trouble when I begin to speculate, but it warrants the question, could they have been? Maybe, maybe not. But they didn't know. Why didn't God use this old man? Well, God didn't want to. Maybe he was unusable. Maybe he made himself unusable unto the Lord. But it's very interesting that the Lord did not have a prophet there on the scene that he chose to use. He had to call somebody all the way from Judah. I want you to know something. You may not ever be famous in this life. We don't even know this Young man of God's name. Some speculate who it could have been, but we really don't know. You may not be famous. You may not be rich. Your name may not be put on any huge marquee of any church sign or, or six flags over Jesus. I don't know. You, you, you may not have your name in lights. But you know what? That's okay. We don't need it in lights. All we need to do is what the Word of the Lord tells us. And we will be successful. So we see the calling of this man of God. We see the commitment of this man of God. He's committed to, to going where God tells him to go. He's committed in, in representing God Himself. He's, he's committed in being God's man and being His ambassador. He's committed to living in, 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 the, in God's power and His presence to say, thus saith the Lord. He's committed, obviously, to, to prayer because he knows what the Word of the Lord said, specifically what king was coming some 340 years in the future. He was committed to obedience. He was God's man. But something terrible happens. We already read it. He compromised. He compromised. This old prophet lies to him. Let's read that account really quickly. This old prophet, he's intrigued that a young prophet would come all the way from the southern kingdom to the northern kingdom. He's intrigued for obvious reasons. Maybe he's not seen another prophet. Maybe he's not seen another man of God in quite some time. But he wants to meet him. He gets his sons to saddle the donkey. He rides out and he asks him to come back home with him. Hey, we love to do that in my neck of the woods. We love to just hang out. I believe that discipleship is it happens in relationships. That's an awesome thing to just want to spend time together, iron sharpening iron. So I don't think this old prophet is necessarily wanting a bad thing here. But when he finds the young man of God, he says, Hey, come home with me. I want to, I want to bless you. And what does the young man of God say? I can't. And he tells him why, like he told Jeroboam. I can't. The Lord said to me, don't go, don't go with anybody. I can't, I can't eat bread. I can't drink water. For it was commanded me by the word of the Lord. And I cannot go home the way in which I came. But look at verse 18. This is where it gets a little dicey. Look at verse 18. And he said, I also am a what? So he's trying to connect with him. He's trying to relate with him. Hey, I know your struggles. I'm a prophet just like you. 
I hear the voice of the Lord. I know what the Lord has said. Oh, and by the way, I'm a little bit older. I'm a little bit wiser. And an angel came to me. Makes it a little more eccentric. An angel came to me. Now, you may have heard the voice of the Lord, but God sent a special messenger to me to tell you, come back home with me. What's he trying to get this young man of God to do? To compromise. Now, what's this young man of God's sin right here? We're going to look at the consequences in a moment. But what's his sin? He, he was called of God. He was committed unto God. Why did he compromise? Here's why. Because he believed the word of man over the word of God. Plain and simple. He believed the word of man more than he believed the word of God. What should this young prophet have done? He should have fallen on his face and sought the face of God. He should have stopped what he was doing. He should have prayed unto the Lord, sought his face, but he didn't. He just believed him. And as they sat at the table, verse 20, the actual word of the Lord came to this old prophet. I don't know how long it had been since this old prophet had heard the voice of the Lord. It could have been quite some time. Again, we don't know. But the voice of the Lord, the word of the Lord, came finally unto this old prophet. And he cries against the man of God who came back from Judah and said, Because you have disobeyed the word of the Lord. Because you've disobeyed. Because you've not kept the command the Lord has commanded you. Because you have come back. Because you have eaten. Because you have drunk water. You shall eat no bread and water that I've commanded you. You've done these things. Your body shall not come to the tomb of your What's he saying? You're going to not be able to reach home, your physical home, again. Friend, let me encourage you, let me exhort you, but let me caution you that your sin doesn't only affect you. How many times are we tempted to say, I'm going to do this little thing over here. I know it's not all that God wants me to do, and it's really not going to affect anybody. It does. It affects you. It affects heaven. It affects your community. It affects your walk. It affects your witness. It affects the kingdom. And it certainly did the young man of God. It affected him. It affected the old prophet. It affected the king. It affected the community. It affected everybody that saw and witnessed the testimony of the Lord. It affected them all. Because what did Jeroboam not do at the end? He did not repent. Do not compromise. He started out fully committed and then he trusted man's word over the word of the Lord. Now look at what happens lastly. Let's look at the consequences. Point number four. Verse 24. As he went away, a lion met him on the road and he killed him. This is so interesting. The lion kills the man, but he doesn't kill the donkey. The lion kills the man, and not only does he not kill the donkey, he doesn't ravish the body. That's, that's amazing. And when the prophet hears it, he goes and he sees, and he sees the lion standing there, he sees the donkey standing there, and he sees the man of God's body there. And he mourns and buries him in his own tomb and says, Alas, alas, my brother Let me caution you, friend, that when we disobey, there are consequences. We think of a loving, holy God, merciful, gracious. Yes, He is. Yes, He is. 
more gracious than I could even have time to tell you. I can tell you story after story of His grace being poured out in my life, saving me from my stupidity time and time again. God is good. But sometimes He lets us feel some heavy consequences that we rightfully deserve. In fact, if He let us feel the full consequences of what we deserve, we'd all be going to hell, wouldn't we? But because of His infinite mercy and grace, God is always gracious. He's always merciful. But He's also holy. And He teaches us hard lessons sometime. And this, this was a hard lesson this, this man of God had to experience. But it was supernatural chastisement. I don't know about you, but I don't desire that. But Jesus tells us in John 15 that God disciplines those He loves. It's for our good and ultimately for God's glory. And the direct consequences was, this was going to cost him dearly. And he dies that day. Another direct consequence is found in verse 33. I know there's a sovereignty aspect here, but there's also a responsibility aspect. Yes, God is completely sovereign. Yes, God told the young prophet, that 300 plus years later, Josiah would come and tear down all this. But absolutely, that's true. But in the moment, God really wanted Jeroboam's heart to change. That's why we preach. That's why we witness. That's why we go and fulfill the Great Commission that all may hear and see the majestic glory of God, would repent of their sin, trust upon the Lord Jesus Christ, and be saved. Amen? That's the Great Commission. And that's why we go and tell and how our heart yearns and burns and longs to see people changed and transformed by the grace and mercy of God. And every person we share Christ with, in that moment, I don't, in my mind, I'm not thinking, this rebellious guy's going to die in his sin. What am I thinking in that moment? Oh God, please help this person to trust Christ. God, please help this person. Draw them to repentance. God, give them, the, give them the faith to believe in You, God, please. I'm pleading with the Lord as I'm speaking to people. And sometimes that takes conversation after conversation after conversation. Sometimes we plant seeds. Sometimes we see the harvest in somebody's life right then and there. But we do it with a great expectation to see God bring people unto repentance. But what did Jeroboam do here in verse 33? after he sees the sign of the man of God, he hears the witness of the man of God, he, 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 his hand that's withered he is able to stretch back out again. What does he do? He's mesmerized. He's in awe of the Word of God. But after he sees this man of God die in his sin, it did not affect him at all. In fact, it probably made him even worse. So let me encourage you, friend. Do not believe the word of men over the word of God. There's going to be people that's going to try to sidetrack you. You're going to hear from God, whether you're in a church setting, whether you're in a ministry setting, you're going to hear from God over clear instructions of what God would have for you to do in your ministry and in your church and your life. And God's going to be very clear, crystal clear in His instruction. And somebody's going to tell you how foolish that sounds. Who are you going to trust? Are you going to trust the Word of God or the Word of man? And the Word of man sounds really appealing. It sounds really really justifiable. Well, that, that sounds wise in, in its own way. Who are you going to believe? If you believe the Word of man over the Word of God, it has great consequence. So here is my application today. Two points of application, and I'm done. And you can go eat your... 
350 slice of pizza. Number one, God commands complete and radical obedience to His mission. He demands complete and radical obedience to His mission. Our, our mission team was, was preparing to, to come up for the last several weeks. and Can you believe we've encountered some spiritual warfare? Can you believe that? I can. It's like we, we brought 16 people with us, praise God, and uh, we're looking to want to come back in June and, and do it again and uh, hopefully help work on the duplexes and, and bless some churches around here. But since we've been, on, been up here, on, on the way up here, my wife found out her father-in-law that lives in Atlanta has COVID, and he was hospitalized. Another team member, her uncle died yesterday. One of my deacon's wives that was watching my precious poopsies, <laughs> my little silky Yorkie of all four pounds, it got out and got ran over and died. And uh, I know that doesn't sound terrible, but... It's traumatic. There's been some warfare going on just in our group. The Lord, the Lord wants us here and the devil doesn't. That's to be expected. But who are we going to believe? What are we going to do? Will we give complete and radical obedience to the Lord? Or will we just trust in our own will, wants, and desires? Or in the words of other people? Secondly, here's a second point of application. We're accountable to God. And we must fulfill the mission He's called us to. We are accountable. Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your holy Word. Father, thank You for these students, Lord, that's being trained from Your ministry work. Father, I pray a blessing over all of their lives. Lord, some of them are young and You've called very young and they're being trained right now. Some of them you called a little bit later. And Father, they're being trained right now. And God, I pray this very moment that you would equip their hearts. Give them the desire. God, the, the godly desire to stay the course. Father, to be radical in their obedience. Because they are accountable unto you. You, Father, have called them and they are your servants. And God, I pray that you would use them in such a day that we live in for your glory and your kingdom's purposes. Give them the resolve that no matter what comes their way, that they will fulfill the mission you have set them on to make disciples of all nations. And we praise you and we love you and we thank you. In Christ's holy name, we do pray all these things. And all God's people said, amen. Thank you so much. God bless you.